Let's give attention to God's word, Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 38. Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Amen. We'll end our reading there at the end of Mark chapter 12. Let's ask for God's help in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we look to you now to help us to hear your word, to receive it as the word of God. We pray that by your grace, no impediments from our minds, from our hearts, from our circumstances, from our surroundings, and no impediments from the instrument would get in the way of your people receiving and being edified being built up in Christ by your word this morning. In his name we pray, amen. With all of these episodes that we're finding in Mark 11 and 12, you could always put more than one of them together. You could always read more than one. If you noticed, we read two episodes. We read about the warning concerning the scribes, and then we also read about the poor widow's offering. And we could have done that. We could have read a much larger section and we could have read more of these stories in dialogue with one another because the reality is that they're all happening sequentially. They're all taking place on the same day and they all do illuminate one another. So in one sense, the choice of how much do we read is a little bit arbitrary. It's constrained by, well, how much can we talk about within our usual time frame? But I put these stories together this morning in part because the one about the scribes is short, and in part because warnings about false teachers are going to be coming up again in chapter 13. But when we put them together in this way, you can see a contrast. Here are scribes who devour widows' houses, and here then is a widow who willingly, sacrificially, gives away her whole livelihood. What a contrast between the greed of the scribes and the generosity of the widow. The scribes were better off than she was, but they were greedy and she was generous. Now, as I said, we can read all of these stories in dialogue with one another. You remember not too long ago, there was a scribe to whom Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. So when he talks this way about scribes, It's not universal. He's not saying there were no good scribes, but he's describing what was too common, what was too frequent among them. Not absolutely universal, but a prevailing problem. You could find exceptions. Well, I'm comforted by that. We live in a society, we live in a country where there is 
a lot of preaching and teaching that happens. There's wildly successful television and radio programs. There's people who command audiences of thousands. And of course, as a preacher myself, sometimes I'm lumped into this general category. And with, with some reason, I mean, I'm not objecting to being categorized as a preacher. But the obvious application of the first part of this passage is to money-grubbing parasites who will say anything that releases a donation. I don't think of myself that way. And I'm glad then to find that when the Lord Jesus criticizes the religious establishment, if you will, of his time, that in the context there are exceptions. Not every preacher is Jimmy Swaggart or somebody along those lines. But it is a reality. It is something that needs to be acknowledged. And so today we have a theme that ties these two passages together, and that theme is misleading appearances. On the one hand, you have the scribes, and boy, do they make a good show. They've got their special clothes that set them apart as religious scholars. They are greeted in the marketplace with so much respect. Good morning, Rabbi, such and such. They bestow blessings on others. They're greeted with signs of respect, with special forms for the kiss of greeting. They're seated in the synagogue. You know where they sit? They sit right in front of the chest that contains the scrolls where the word of God is. And when you invited them to a feast, which you were often expected to do, they would be given the chief place. They would be given the place of honor. And they loved all of that. That made them feel important. That made them feel prestigious. Here were all of these cultural markers. Here is a person who matters. Well, there you have the religious ostentation. And of course, a lot of people went along with that. A lot of people did invite them to parties, did greet them with extra respect, did honor them. And on the part of the people who did that, that wasn't entirely a bad thing. It was good for them to have respect for those who taught the word of God, especially when they taught it accurately. But on the part of the scribes, that was a terrible thing. It was a terrible thing that they loved it. It was a terrible thing that they sought it. It was a terrible thing that they craved it. And it was an especially terrible thing that they abused their position of honor and respect to take advantage of people, that they devoured widows' houses. Now, we don't know exactly how they did that. It may be that they solicited donations. And of course, I mean, you run into this all the time with scammers, whether religious or not. They like to target people who are kind, who are soft-hearted, who are generous. Why? Because it's easier to get money from a generous person than it is to get blood out of a turnip, so to speak. So that's a problem that can still continue. Now, it may have been that they targeted widows by soliciting donations. It may have been that widows would ask a person of standing, a respected person in the the community, to administer their resources for them, and then they skimmed more off the top or they charged exorbitant fees for that. We're not sure exactly how they devoured widows' houses, but scammers are creative. Scammers come up with new ways to do things all the time, and they run their plays on people, and they extract money from them. So with the scribes, 
not universally, not with regard to absolutely everybody, probably not with regard to the scribe to whom he said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But with regard to a lot of them, there were two problems, problems that often go together. There was a love of being important. And then there was a love of money, an abuse of their position in order to get money. Well, what did that all lead to? Well, it led into hypocrisy. For a pretense, they made long prayers. Did they pray a long time because they had a lot of prayer requests? Because there was much that was weighing on their heart? Because they were wrestling with God in prayer as Jacob wrestled with the angel? No, they made sure that their long prayers were in public where other people could see them. It was a pretense. It was just to seem impressive, to continue to further that narrative of how religiously special they were. Now, there's several different applications that we could make to this. One is just in the opening words of what Jesus says here, beware of the scribes. Now, this may seem counterproductive or this may seem unnecessarily hostile, but I just want to echo that. Beware of the scribes. There are people who you will hear on the radio or who you will hear on TV. They might have an article in the newspaper. They might have sermons up somewhere on the Internet. And yes, I am aware that except for the TV part, I'm describing myself. You can watch me on YouTube. You can hear me on Sermon Audio. You can catch me on KERI. You can hear me in all of those places. You can read my articles in the Shafter Press. Beware of the scribes. Now, personally, I can tell you, but you don't have any special reason to believe me, that I'm not trying to be a hypocrite and I'm not trying to get your money. But there are other people out there who are. So apply to them and to me. And that's where I I hope you can see a difference. Apply to all of us equally the same test. Is our teaching in line with the word of God? If our teaching is not in line with the word of God, then do not donate a cent. Really, I mean that. Do not donate a cent where the teaching is not in line with the word of God. That's very important. We do not want to be funding and bankrolling false teachers. That's not good. That's not helpful for anybody. Do not give a cent where the teaching is not in line with the word of God. And if you hear something from somebody who's generally reliable but it's not in line with the word of God, ask them about it. Go up to them and say, what did you mean? Please do that to me. Please hit me up if I make a mistake or if I say something I shouldn't or if in some way I am less than I should be in preaching and teaching. I want to hear from you about that. I don't want to get worse and worse. Most of these scribes probably didn't say, you know what? I'll become a scribe and then I'll be important and then I can steal from widows. That's my career path. It probably happened slowly. It happened over time. Well, beware of the scribes and apply to every scribe, apply to everybody who's seeking those tests. Are they teaching the word of God? Do they love to be important? Are they honest? Are they transparent about their management of money? Those are, those are not the only tests, but those are some really important tests. And if somebody can't pass those tests, then I don't think you should support them. 
And if I don't pass those tests, I don't want you to support me. So that's one big application. Beware of the scribes, whether they're on TV, whether they're on the radio, whether they're in the church around the corner, or whether they're right here. Beware of the scribes. I don't say that to undermine your respect for the ministry or your value for the preaching of the word of God. I say that because it is important, you can't afford to give me or anybody who stands here a free pass. All right, let's move on from that part to another misleading appearance. This was a long day for the Lord Jesus. He taught a lot. And so now he sat opposite the treasury. And basically what this was, in the way the temple was organized, you had several courts. You had the court of the Gentiles. You had the court of the women. You had the court of the Israelites. The court of the women was not that only women were there, but that that was as far as women could enter into the temple. And in that part, they had set up 13 sort of trumpet-shaped boxes where people could give offerings. And some of the boxes were for specific things, and some were generally goodwill offerings. So, of course, people would come in lugging their money. And at that time, you know, there's no bank transfers, there's no checks, there's not even paper money. So you come in hauling a sack of coins, and you dump them into trumpet-shaped boxes. So if nothing else, it's going to make a noise, right? There's going to be some clatter from that. So it wasn't exactly a discreet way to give. But people would come and they would give. And the Lord Jesus was sitting there observing the people coming. And a lot of wealthy people were giving a lot of money. And if you couldn't tell from the size of the sack, you could tell from the noise in the boxes. Why were there so many wealthy people there? Well, remember, this is around Passover. So Jewish people are coming from all over the Roman Empire to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And maybe they've been saving up to give a special donation on this occasion. Or maybe they're just that wealthy. There were some fabulously wealthy people at that time. And, you know, their pocket change was a year's salary for others. In among this crowd of people giving came a poor widow, and she put in two mites. Now, mites are very small coins indeed. If the commentators that I consulted were accurate in what they said, I believe this was about one sixty-fourth of a day's wage for a day's laborer. That's not a lot of money. Take, you know, what you would be paid if you worked for one day at minimum wage, divide that into 64 parts. That's not a lot of money. But that's what she had. It would maybe have gotten her her next meal. You know, maybe it would have gotten her a loaf of bread or something along those lines. She put it into the treasury. And the Lord Jesus commended her for that. And he said, these are the terms of his condemnation. She put in more than anyone else. Now, judging by appearances, that is not what you would have thought. You would have said, hey, that guy who threw in a whole sack of gold, he gave more than anybody else. That guy who stood by the treasury box for 10 minutes unloading coins in there, he put in more than anybody else. No, it was these little tiny copper coins whose worth can barely be registered of less value in some ways than one of our pennies. She put in more than everybody. How is that? Well, man looks on the outward appearance, 
but the Lord looks on the heart. Others gave what they could spare, what didn't really cost them. She gave everything she had. Now, of course, we immediately start wondering and thinking, whoa, was that a prudent thing to do? Should you give away 100% of your money, but then you're going to be dependent on charity? And you know what? We don't know all of the circumstances. We don't know what else was going on. I think we can probably be confident of two things. A, the Lord took care of this woman. Whether Jesus did something, whether God provided for her in some other way, we don't know. We do know that Jesus did have a habit of contributing to the poor. You remember, um, well, later this week when Judas went out to betray Christ, Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. And he went out and the other disciples thought, oh, he's probably gone to buy something or he went to give something to the poor. Because when Jesus told him, hey, you have a job to do, go do it. It was easy for them to think that the job was to distribute to the poor. Apparently, the Lord Jesus and his disciples were in the habit of doing that. So whether Jesus took care of her or whether God provided for her in some other way, let's not get bogged down on details the text doesn't give us and worry about whether the widow had any supper that evening. I think we can say the Lord provided. But what about the other question? Is it really prudent to give 100% of our money? Well, if you know that you're going to be then dependent on charity, that you know, you're going to give to the church and the church is going to turn around and give to you, maybe you can cut out the middleman. I'm not opposed to that. I'm not saying that this is held up as this is what we all need to do and we all need to do it today. But I do want you to notice this. What the Lord Jesus chose to highlight about this incident was praise of this widow. So it is a good thing to give and to give generously, to give even sacrificially. Now, don't do that to me, but if there are causes to support, if there are needs to take care of, then we can dig deep. Many of us, can dig deeper than we've been in the habit of being and we don't of doing and we don't want to skip over that element. We don't want to just say, well, you know, we're not going to talk about that part. It's in here and we should talk about it. Giving is a Christian grace. Paul also commends those who gave out of their poverty and out of their deep affliction. And Paul views it as an unspeakable gift when God's people have generous hearts. There is a generosity in giving what you can spare. Don't get me wrong. But there's a deeper generosity in giving what limits your possibilities as well. And that is exactly what this widow did. Now, we've seen the scribes criticized or warned against. We've seen the widow commended. But who is doing both of these? It is the Lord Jesus. And that's really the focus of this passage, in my understanding. The Lord was not impressed by religious ostentation. Those long prayers and special garments and positions of honor, he saw right through that. He didn't care. We are not going to deceive Christ by religious hypocrisy. That's not going to happen. It doesn't matter how good you look and how clean you smell. The Lord Jesus knows who is and who is not a hypocrite, who is being religious, who is going to church, who is acting godly for the sake of praise or honor or even worse, for the sake of 
taking advantage of others. He knows who they are, and he will rebuke them. He will deal with them. He warned us to be on our guard against that, and he will take care of it ultimately. You can find that in Ezekiel 34. The Lord is going to visit, and he is going to rebuke the false shepherds, the ones who lead people astray, the ones who take advantage of them, the ones who fleece the flock, the ones who don't do their job. The Lord knows, and the Lord will visit. The Lord will deal with them. But let it also be clear that the Lord is not deceived by our limitations. He sees what this widow did, and he says it's more than everybody else. Now, the Lord Jesus could do math. He knew that the gold was worth more than the copper. He knew that a stack of hundreds of coins was worth a lot more than two coins. But he wasn't worried about the money. He wasn't focused on the outward appearance. He wasn't misled by what could be counted. He saw the heart. And what did he value? He valued the sacrificial, the giving heart of the widow more than anything. You know, you run into this sometimes with kids. They think, well, I'm just a kid. There's not much that I can do. But the Lord who sees the heart values your prayer, values your giving, values your service, values your attempts to sit still and not distract others, values the memory verse that you can learn. Yeah, as a kid, maybe there's not that much that you can do. In worldly terms, but that's not how the Lord Jesus thinks about it. Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe your mobility is limited. Maybe you can't get out. Maybe there's very little that you can do and you remember what you used to do. You remember how you used to show up to church work days and do more than everybody else. You remember how you used to host big groups in your house every Sunday afternoon and you can't do that anymore. The Lord is not deceived by your limitations, by your constraints. The Lord sees the heart and the Lord values that. What we can give out of weakness, out of poverty, out of affliction, out of a multitude of cares and distracting concerns. The Lord knows how to weigh that up. The Lord knows how to balance that. Don't be frustrated by the limitations of your resources. Don't be frustrated that you can't put more in the offering plate. Don't be frustrated that you can't be present more often. Don't be frustrated that you can't be more active in service. Please understand, I, I am encouraging everybody, do what you can. Dig deep to do what you can. But when you have, don't sit down and say, well, that was worthless. That meant nothing. That didn't help. That didn't count. Nobody noticed. Maybe nobody else noticed this widow, but the Lord Jesus did. And notice what else he did. He called his disciples to himself and said to them. He wanted them to notice too. The Lord Jesus evaluates and he criticizes those who make a show of religion, those who turn it into a cause for rejoicing and boasting in themselves. He commends those who sincerely and humbly and invisibly almost, if you will, serve. But then he also communicates that to his disciples. You see, we too should be like the Lord Jesus in this regard. We should not be deceived 
by flashy, impressive, ostentatious religious activity. But nor should we be misled by the smallness, the insignificance of tiny contributions that others make. We should be like the Lord Jesus. We can't read the heart, so we're not going to do it as well as he can. But we should be learning when a child works hard to learn a memory verse or when somebody puts together a few cookies at the last minute to contribute to a fellowship meal or when somebody couldn't bring food but they help with the cleanup or whatever it may be. The small amounts, and by the way, cleanup is not a small service. Cleanup is almost the biggest part of the service on a fellowship meal, for the record. But whatever the contributions may be, whether they're big, whether they're small, we shouldn't be comparing, we shouldn't be competing, we shouldn't be, well, I do more than so-and-so. We should recognize that our ability to serve, our ability to give, our ability to contribute in whatever way, big or small, it is a gift. It is a gift that God gives us, that we return to him, and then he accepts us. He welcomes it. He praises it. You know, we often have this. We think, well, I did this or that or the other thing, and I was trying to do good, but I messed it up. I didn't really do it well enough. It was paltry. It was insignificant. And we know that even our best works are stained and defiled by sin. The catechism reminds us of that. But here's the wonderful news. The Lord Jesus, who is not a nitpicker, we've been accepted in Christ. Our persons are received in the beloved. And so our good works are also received. What is defective, what is flawed in them is pardoned and overlooked and not even mentioned, not brought up against us. And what is good in them, even though that good is completely due to the Holy Spirit, what is good in them is welcomed, is acknowledged, is turned into a crown to reward us with. We can be encouraged to serve God. He's not misled with these appearances. The little that we can do It is acceptable in his eyes. It is welcome to him. The way he values is not how the world values. This poor widow put in more than everyone else. Well, that also teaches us, kind of as a sidelight, not to be too worried, not to be too focused on what we can do. Because if we really approach things from a biblical attitude, we know unless the Lord keeps the house... The watchman stays awake in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, the workmen work for nothing. Psalm 127. So can we give a lot? Can we give a little? We don't need to worry. We give what we can and we think, by God's blessing, this will be enough. That's true financially, but that's also true in terms of service. That's also true in terms of the functioning of the church. If we all do what we can we will abound. If we all do what we can, we will abound. Obviously, there's an implication there. If we all don't do what we can, that's maybe another story. But if you are doing what you can, do not worry. Do not fret 
over the future of the church or over the fate of Christ's kingdom in this world. He sees, he accepts your service, and he can make it multiply. What happens when you plant a seed and then it turns into a whole bunch of tomatoes or whatever it was, the Lord does that. You can give a little gift and the Lord can make it to abound. You can do a small service, but in God's eyes, that will be of great price. That's what you see in the Lord Jesus here. Don't you want to serve him? Don't you want to do all that you can for somebody who evaluates service and giving this way? Oh, he is worth giving all our livelihood for. Amen.